Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today, we're going to talk about manifestation determination reviews. And more specifically, we're going to talk about three things that I recommend you bring with you for an MDR. But first, I want to do a little shout out to anybody that thinks that they might want to start an advocacy practice. Many of you listen because you're parents of children in special education. I know that I also have other team members that listen regularly. That includes teachers and related service professionals and administrators and counselors. And you're all welcome here at Ashley Barlow Company. We work as a team. The team needs to be trained together, needs to come together for opportunities like what I provide. I'm thinking though, about expanding the work that I do to include some very specific advocate training. Things that will help you to start your practice as an advocate in special education. I oftentimes have parents ask me, Ashley, how did you get started doing advocacy? How did you get started in this field? Where did you get trained? What do I need to do? I want to do what you do. I want to help other families. And so this is your opportunity to weigh in on the development of that program. I am hard at work developing some advocacy training, and I would love to hear from anybody that's interested in starting an advocacy practice. So if you will drop me an email, I'm gonna give you my personal email for Ashley Barlow Company. It is ashley at ashleybarlowco.com. A-S-H-L-E-Y at ashleybarlowco.com. Tell me that you're interested. I will put you on the focus group and then we are going to have a couple of Zoom calls where I ask some pretty pointed questions and then I also will allow time for discussion because I'm really curious about what you want, how you want it presented, how often you want to be together, etc., etc. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up in the summer of 2021 for the one year anniversary of Ashley Barlow Company. So stay tuned, but certainly if you wanna be a part of that focus group and you want to learn more about what's coming down the pipeline, shoot me an email, ashley at ashleybarlowcompany.com. Okay, let's talk about the MDR, the Manifestation Determination Review. I go to several of these per year with clients um, and you know they always start off as really, really chaotic, stressful, um, emotional things. So what is the MDR? What is this Manifestation Determination Review? Well, a child on an IEP can only be suspended or removed from school for a maximum of 10 days cumulatively per school year. And when we say that cumulative, what we mean is 10 days altogether. So we can have a two-day suspension and then another two-day suspension, and that equals four. And when that number gets up to 10, 10 cumulatively over the year, 
then the school has to have a manifestation determination review before the suspension or the um, the other disciplinary measure can continue. And so what happens at the MDR is we meet as a team to determine if the behavior is a manifestation of the child's disability. Now, what is a manifestation of the disability? Basically, what we're looking at is if the, um, the behavior, the thing that caused the disciplinary action is part of the disability or could be a manifestation, could be caused by the disability, then we trigger a couple of things. What the federal law says is that we should look to see if we need to implement or amend a, um, a behavior plan, the behavior intervention plan, behavior improvement plan, um, lots of different acronyms for behavior plans in different states. Oftentimes we call them BIPs, B-I-P, the behavior intervention plan. Or if we need to do or redo a functional behavioral analysis, that FBA. And so the manifestation determination review should be triggered anytime a child is um, facing a removal or a suspension that is 10 days or more, or the 10th day cumulative over the school year. Then the parents have to be notified um, and this MDR has to take place. And so we sit down as an ARC team or an ARD team or a PPT team or that IEP team and discuss whether or not the disability or the um, behavior was a manifestation of the child's disability. And so what do we need to prove that connection? What do we need to prove that behavior is a connection to, um, to a child's disability? I've got three things that I always bring to an MDR. The first thing that I always bring is paperwork from outside therapies, outside um, therapies, interventions, tutorings, etc. So a lot of children are evaluated at school and then they're also evaluated by outside professionals. They might go to a clinic for children that have disabilities similar to theirs. They might go to tutoring or to just OT or something like that. And so if I have a child that has ADHD and was evaluated by a psychologist, and if the child's behavior that calls this MDR up, if, if the behavior that we're talking about is impulsive behavior. The first thing I'm gonna look for is impulsivity in an outside report. So I'm gonna go to that psychologist report and I'm gonna see, okay, this, this is the psychologist that diagnosed the child with ADHD and I'm gonna look for impulsivity. And if I find it, I'm gonna look for the description of impulsivity to see if it possibly could have been what caused the, um, the behavior at school or the behaviors um, cumulatively at school. So I'm gonna look at those outside evaluations and I'm gonna look to see if what happened at school basically could have been anticipated. And if that diagnosis that is rendered in the report is that which could have caused the behavior to have happened at school. 
Sometimes this is in evaluation reports. That's kind of the, the best case scenario. Sometimes we have to dig a little bit deeper in those outside records. And we've got to actually look at therapy notes or even correspondence between two professionals. Sometimes we have to get into the my chart or actually ask the doctor for their records and look to see maybe the parents complained about impulsivity and that's in the doctor's note but it isn't actually in the report that the doctor wrote when the doctor describes adhd but certainly impulsivity was contemplated because that's something that the parents have talked about sometimes it's in the actual raw data that's taken in the assessment so children with ADHD, for example, are oftentimes um, kind of a first layer of offense in diagnosing um, ADHD is often a form called a Vanderbilt form. A Vanderbilt is basically a survey or an inventory that teachers and parents and grandparents and multiple people that know a child can complete, and then it's scored. And if the child is scores high enough on the Vanderbilt, then we can continue to look into a diagnosis of ADHD. And when I say we, I mean they, <laughs> medical professionals. I am not a medical professional and can't diagnose somebody with ADHD. But sometimes I wanna look at those Vanderbilt forms to see what circles the parents filled out, what circles the school filled out. If I'm looking again for impulsivity, then I'm gonna look to see did the teachers complete the form to indicate that impulsivity was an issue for this particular child? Because if so, then they were even on notice that the child is impulsive and certainly were aware that the child was impulsive. And that can obviously weigh in to the discussion at an MDR. So I'm gonna bring in outside evaluations, doctor's reports, therapy notes, that raw data, all of that kind of stuff because it's going to be very helpful. That's number one. Now one kind of addendum that I'll say that covers all three of these things is when I tender these to schools, I like to sometimes highlight the important parts because this kind of record can be kind of girthy. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll send the entire record, but I'll highlight the things that I'm gonna talk about in that MDR when it comes to my turn so that I can just kind of buzz through everything quickly and say, okay, well, here's where it says impulsivity and then here's the description. Um, and that makes it easier for the, you know, for the rest of the team, it makes it easy for the parents to see, etc. So that's just kind of a little advocacy tip that I use. So what else do I bring? I like to bring in the actual reports. So not just the um, raw data and the therapy notes and those um, evaluation um, uh, questionnaires and surveys and that kind of thing, but I like to bring in the reports. And in fact, maybe not the reports that we were just talking about, the reports that diagnose the child, but a current report. So Oftentimes when a parent has an MDR scheduled, they have about 48 hours to get everything together. The first thing I'm gonna say to them is, okay, get everything you've got at your house and gather it all up and, and send that over to me. But then next, once you've taken that time, I want for you to reach out to the professionals that currently know your child or the professionals that have worked with your child within the last year. And I want to get a report on how the child's disability affects your child. 
How does ADHD affect your child? How does your child's emotional disturbance affect your child? What does ODD look like in your child? What does autism look like in your child right now, today, over the course of the last year? Give me a current report, a current state of affairs relative to this child. What are we working on? What strategies are we using? Are, um, what things are harder than they used to be? What things are easier than they used to be? We need to know all of that as it is happening right now from a professional. So if I have a child that has oppositional defiant disorder, and the child had actually been doing very, very well in third grade for whatever reason. You know, the supports in third grade were wonderful. The um, child was really kind of vibing with the teacher really well. Um, maybe the sensory room was right next door to the classroom. You know, there's all of those external factors that can weigh into a child's success. Um, but then in fourth grade, you know, maybe the child's grandmother died or um, the classroom was now on a different floor than the sensory room. Or um, there was another child that triggered um, the child behaviorally somehow on a really regular and recurring basis. Then let's see what our outside professionals have to say about how things are happening this year. So a report from the treatment provider that is very, very current is extremely helpful. And oftentimes what the, the providers will do that you don't even really, I don't ask for this, I don't have my clients ask for it, but what I often get is I often get a comparison to the way things used to be, you know? Like this was my report five years ago when I diagnosed the child, and this is how things are going now, that often is just kind of in the report because it's an organic way to explain how the child has progressed or regressed on certain skills or um, the, the, the outward display of the child's diagnosis. And so that report in and of itself can be an extremely helpful thing to take to the meeting. Because what happens is you take it to the meeting and say, here's a professional that's been working with my child that knows my child very well. And here it is right here that says X. Now, how do you get this report? I usually say, call your child's pediatrician and or psychologist or psychiatrist or counselor, whoever it is, and explain. Now, normally these professionals know what an MDR is. So explain that there's an MDR or that there's a um, suspension that's contemplated or a disciplinary measure that's contemplated. And explain, if they don't understand, that what we have to determine as a team is whether or not the child's um, action the behavior was a manifestation of their disability. So what we need is we need a description of the disability as it applies right now. We also need a description of the disability kind of in general as it affects the child. And then we need to know if you and your professional experience think that this described activity, this described behavior could have been a manifestation of the child's disability that you just described.
And usually professionals are very used to writing these kinds of things and are actually really good at, um, at drafting an opinion that says yes or no. And if the answer is no, that's okay. Just we need to put in other supports so that um, you know we're making sure that we're supporting the child and then maybe we do need to consider some kind of different placement. Okay, so number one, we bring in outside evaluations, those initial evaluations, reports, um, therapy notes, all of that kind of stuff, the raw data, etc. Number two, a current report from treatment providers, whoever those folks might be. And number three, I think it's super duper duper important to also bring in highlighted documents that come from school itself. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is go through the last couple of IEPs, go through the last evaluation report, go through emails, um, your communication notebook that you have back and forth with um, your child's teachers, go through um, Schoology or Infinite Campus or Google Classroom or, or Dojo or um, however you communicate on behavior with your child's um, classroom teachers and other teachers, other staff that help your child. Go through everything that you've got that shows communication to and from school, that shows your child's IEP binder, and highlight the places where we're describing behaviors um, that might relate to the behavior that's in question in the MDR. So if I have a child that has engaged in um, fighting, then I'm gonna ask the parents, well, why do you think your child was engaged in fighting? And, um, you know, there's lots of different ways that a fight can occur. Maybe it comes from um, a social thing. You know, maybe a child is um, getting bullied. Maybe a child is, which is not necessarily social, um, but the child might interpret it socially. Maybe the child is sticking up for somebody else socially. Maybe the child is extremely frustrated with a certain group or a certain person. Um, so then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look through all of the school records and I'm going to look for places that talk about the child's social skills. I'm gonna look at their social language. I'm gonna look at their pragmatic language. I'm gonna look at peer relationships. I'm gonna look for anything that has anything to do with other kids in the school that are similarly aged and how they might affect a child's behavior. If I have a child that brings um, a, a something to school that should not have come to school, you know, something that is adult or something that is dangerous to school. Um, you know, first of all, it's very, very, very important that we make sure that the child understands what has happened in retrospect. And sometimes, you know, if a child has a cognitive disability, that's where we stop. Maybe the child didn't understand the danger Maybe the child didn't understand the rules. 
Maybe the child can't differentiate between, um, you know, taking something hunting with a parent or a grandparent and um, taking something to school. Well, that's incredibly dangerous. And that's something that we also want to address proactively so that it doesn't happen in the future either. So we have to look at um, kind of the entire student and we have to look at what school has said about that child. And what I do is I go and I look. So in that example, I'm gonna go look for um, not only cognitive impairment, but I'm gonna look for examples of what a child might and might not be able to know cognitively. So do we know risks on the playground, for example? Um, does a child know, I remember when my, when my son was Jack, or my son is, still is Jack, when my son Jack was young, rather, I remember how stressful it was to take him to a playground because I was so afraid that he was just going to jump right off of any of those holes, you know, the hole that goes to the um, fire pole, for example. And so I was running around all over that playground. It was so stressful. And I'd see other moms sitting on the bench and think, when can I just sit on that bench? Um, and believe me, friends, I think I said this in a recent podcast. I made it. I made it to the bench. Um, so you will make it there too, I hope. But you know, if he doesn't understand that kind of risk, then could I make an argument that he doesn't understand a risk of taking something dangerous to school? Maybe there is a parallel there. So if I find those things in school records, again, I'm going to highlight them. And I, because I really believe in good communication before and during meetings, I will probably also send that document over to school in advance of the meeting highlighted to say, here are some um, documents that I intend to share at the meeting. I wanted to have you, um, I wanted you to have them so that you have an opportunity to look at them before the meeting, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to take highlighted school documents, not necessarily so that school eats their own words and, you know, they should have been on notice and that kind of thing. Of course, sometimes those things are true, but oftentimes it's just because we have to look at behavior through a different lens than the way that we look at um, implementing specially designed instruction and behavioral supports. When we're looking at discipline, we're looking at behavior from a different lens. And so, but the same information applies. The same ways that behavior affects children apply. And so, whereas in a report for, you know, after an evaluation, that evaluation report is going to describe behavior in a way that helps the team to develop ideas for a behavior plan. Now we need to look at it from a disciplinary standpoint and to say, ooh, this puts us on notice that we have this cognitive impairment where we don't understand the risk of harm. And so does that mean that we don't understand the risk of harm here, in which case we could call it a manifestation of that cognitive impairment, a manifestation of the disability. So those are the three things I take to an MDR every single time. Outside um, evaluations, those initial evaluations, doctor's reports, therapy notes, raw data, etc. 
Number two, current reports from treatment providers across the board. And number three, documentation that's in the school record that I've highlighted and sent over to school before. I hope that's helpful. I certainly hope that you never have to face an MDR, um, but they are uh, a reality. They are something that all of us um, have have to think about, have to have on our radar, because when they come up, they come up quickly. I hope that's helpful. I will see you next week, same time, same place.